All right, I've got a riddle for you. Two guys have a fox, a rabbit, and a head of lettuce at the edge of a river. They have a small raft capable of carrying only themselves and one item at a time, but without their supervision, the fox will eat the rabbit and the rabbit will eat the lettuce. How can they successfully transport all goods from one side of the river to the next without losing the lettuce or the rabbit? The dilemma is true no matter what side of the river they are on and there's no other way across. Well, kill the fox. You can't kill the fox. Hmm. Now it's a riddle. A rabbit lettuce and i can't kill the fox no okay and we know this rabbit is a vegetarian correct yes hmm obviously we have to start with the rabbit okay because the fox won't eat the lettuce they're picky but we can't then leave the fox or the lettuce with the rabbit while we go get the other one yes but if i drop off one of them and then bring the other one back Game changer. I got it. We start with the rabbit. Okay. We get halfway across the river, Mm -hmm. and I turn, and I eat you. What? And then I'm still hungry, so I also eat the rabbit. Uh, um... But that wasn't enough for me, but I remember there's a crunchy little fox back on the shore. So I turn around, I eat the fox, but I'm still hungry. So I look at the lettuce, and I say to the lettuce, I say, easy pickings. So I paint a face on the lettuce, naturally, and I hide in the bushes waiting for tourists to come talk to it because they think it's a man buried up to his neck in the sand. So then I eat them because now I have a bloodlust and an insatiable impulse to consume the soul of the living what's your answer um well we're already halfway across the river maybe you could just eat your cliff bars instead oh yeah i like the cliff thank god we're here hey who's that it it looks like a guy buried up to his neck in the sand well let's go talk to him hey pal how'd you get yourself in this wait a minute with a face painted on it daniel are you trying to eat me yeah but uh, yeah yeah but i didn't do this What was that? Was that the fox? I don't know what a fox sounds like. The fox goes. Oh, God. How did he get here? Does he have his own boat? Who's watching the lettuce? The lettuce goes. I'm sorry. He said it was either you or me. That has been the L.A. Weekly Boys in a fox, a Hal Roach production. Fifty-two. Fifty-two. We're naming each episode. Is that how each episode starts now? We, <laughs> just to say numbers? I'm going to take away your name and give you a, a number. number. Podcast. <laughs> welcome. Hello. Welcome. Hello. Hi. Oh, hi. Oh, hey there. Welcome to episode 52, we think, of LA Meekly. We'll check later. The podcast. Based on your favorite comic book. <laughs> <laughs> We're an offshoot of the Heathcliff comics. Yeah, we are a subsidiary. Heathcliff comics. That's a tongue twister I cannot say. <laughs> we were cousins of the neighbor of a character in Heathcliff. <laughs> And we're gritty. <laughs> we have each other's hands down each other's animated pants. <laughs> so welcome to April. Greg. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do this. Please. It's Easter. Easter fools. <laughs> He's not coming back. Easter fools. Easter fools. All those eggs are just unfertilized chickens. <laughs> they're very colorful, but still. Get it off of the stove if they're already unfertilized. And it wasn't a good breakfast for me that day. Uh, He's not coming back. April Fools. April Fools. It's April, the month of. I think spring happens now. I don't. I, I can don't never. Know. It's there's. A, is there an equinox or a solstice? There's an equinox membership. Yeah. Solstice is. Uh, was that a restaurant or something? Mm-hmm. Within the equinox. It's where they sell um, health. 
Goodwill. They sell health at Goodwill. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing fine. Thank you for asking. Ugh. I've been busy. I'm taking a sign painting class right now. One of the last ones in America, and it sucks. I thought it was the last one in America. I, I hope it's I, the last one. If there was another one, I would take it. Um, <laughs> recently, I don't know if you were interested in this because you were, I don't know, were you there? Are we saying that you were there or we're saying you're not there? Well, hang on a second. Are we getting into our newest segment on the show? <gasps> I walked right into it by accident. That was beautiful. You corralled me like a sheep. <laughs> We're starting a new segment on the show where Daniel burps while I try to be sincere. It's called Most of My Friendship with Him. <laughs> it's called The Jinx. No relation. Hey, burping when you're guilty isn't copyright. Was it a crime to burp now? <laughs> You're going to put me away for burping? That's all I did. So yeah, it's a new segment on the show where we're going to talk about something in town that we did in the last month, Mm -hmm. something we really liked. And uh, please, Greg, uh, tell me what you did. Well, uh, last month, I uh, was very interested in going to see a W.C. Fields movie. It's a gift, which we brought up in an episode about the Orange Groves. It's the movie where W.C. Fields buys an Orange Grove and he moves to California. He moves his annoying family to California. (laughs) We went to the uh, El Segundo Old Town Music Hall, which we both love. It was a great time. He showed us a short segment from... What was it was what it was, was happening in it? was another WC Field it short was never, before the WC Fields. It's movie. not even a short. It was a clip from Never Give a Sucker an Even Break, which is mm. a really good one. But it's like a wacky car chase. I'm one of my favorite. Trigger. Oh yeah, when he's driving really fast. Yeah, he's driving. Everyone's driving really fast. Yeah. I was sitting watching the whole thing. Like I think I know what's true. I got. I want to yeah. have like a guide by guide because all the streets he covered. But I know that one of my favorite. We should have live tweeted a WC. This might be Vermont. This next, might be like next WC Fields <laughs> premiere that comes out. We'll be there live tweeting it. I think one of my favorite trivia facts from that movie is that he's coming up Glendale Boulevard when it becomes that bridge and you go into Los Feliz I think it becomes Hyperion in the background you see a hillside and it's Forest Lawn Glendale where he would eventually be buried or cremated or <laughs> and he whatever. pointed at it yeah, like uh, Babe me, Ruth like Babe Ruth he call, called it <laughs> right there and trust me he did have the body of Babe Ruth or maybe Forest Lawn was there the body and of he just wasn't Ruth. there yet I'm trying to lay down facts all the history facts that I can remember as I go along yeah well I want to talk about candy speaking not, of candy we I, I yes. snuck some candy candy in. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the experience of being... Uh, yeah, that's all I'm trying to get to. Yeah, you snuck candy in and I wanted to rat you out because how dare you? They need the money from concessions to keep going and you brought 99 cent store candy. Hey, so the 99 cent store needs my uh, my money too. <laughs> Anyone who's unfamiliar, it's an old ornate theater and they have a giant organ there. Bill Field, I believe, is the organist who runs so. it. Is it a Wurlitzer? He plays a Wurlitzer. Uh, but it's a mighty Wurlitzer. Excuse right. me. And then like the curtains pull to yeah. the side and it's just... I, it's it's, it's the I contraptionarium keep, of the Wurlitzer. I keep saying, oh, it's a Wonderland. I yeah. keep using the word Wonderland. It's like a Sesame Street Wonderland back there. <laughs> they play some music and then there's a sing-along. Yeah. And then they show a short and then uh, an intermission where I run to the bathroom because mm-hmm. my stomach was hurting so much because I ate so much pasta and coffee beforehand. It was an awful and it was so wet and you were just cranky and you were <laughs> It was wet outside. I wasn't wet. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. After the intermission, you come back and they show a full-length movie. It's yeah. really great. Uh, we went to go see Nosferatu there too a while ago, but he played along with Nosferatu. Oh, yeah, which is great. Yeah. For the silent movies, they have live musical accompaniment. It's a fun place. I recommend going. And then you walk outside afterwards. It's some for some reason always raining when yeah. I get out of that place. And uh, there's a big oil refinery. Yeah. It's probably just oil raining down. My car was running a lot I, better after that. <laughs> and what about you? What have you been up to? Here's one thing I did in the last month. You wrote it down even. It's a restaurant. Where'd no. you go? Have you been to TGI Fridays? <laughs> 
You're mocking me. It was a restaurant. It's called Simitas Poblanas Don Adrian. Wow. It's on uh, Victory, kind of near like Balboa. And it's these, they're basically tortas. Okay. Have you heard of those? Tortas. Have you, have you seen Coco? They're a sandwich. Have you seen Coco? <laughs> they feature heavily in Coco. The Remember Me was about a torta. <laughs> it's basically that, but I guess it's from one particular place in Mexico. The one I got was f- a fish. It was like breaded fish. And Ooh. it has on top of it, like these huge hunks of cheese, oh. an entire avocado, and then like some vegetables and they have a really good hot sauce to put on it and it's great it's just a tiny little place say the name again Semitas Poblanas Don Adrian there's also these uh, I forget what it was but it was I didn't know what it was and I felt too embarrassed to ask like hey what's that it's like a type of cilantro from this one part of Mexico that has I don't know it has like a different taste than other cilantro we need different departments from different cultures to just sit next to us while we talk and be like actually the term you're trying to come up with is this (laughs) what you're thinking of is called raisins (laughs) oh Uh, yeah old grape (laughs) it's a wonderful restaurant sounds really good and you've never taken me this is the first time i went there what do you want this is in the past month i haven't seen you in a month you scouting food for me yeah (laughs) i just want to see if this is okay for greg (laughs) (laughs) would my friend like this (laughs) you know it's a huge sandwich and it's going to make a big mess and there's three tables there and you're going to be sitting in one and there's going to be a family of six literally standing over you waiting for your table it's nice i was surprised because they have all these vegetarian options they have like uh tofu sandwiches as well i know you like that i like tofu but I think that gives me man boobs so I can't eat too much of it. Well, it looks like you already did. Stop mm, right now. Come to daddy. <laughs> Let's go there now. I think you need a, I think you need a fill up. <laughs> yeah, so that's what we've been up to. Those are two things we did in the past month and you know, next month you'll hear a couple more things yeah. we did. Maybe on the news. <laughs> Yahoo News will cover it which means it's going to be biased but fun. <laughs> which means it's going to have spoilers about The Walking Dead in it but stay tuned. Don't put that picture Damn it! Let us know if you've been to one of these places or if yeah. you did something like this that we'd like. Although I, nah, we're pretty. In <laughs> we have no. pretty refined taste. I don't uh, know if anything you like is something we'd like. We go in the underground. We're not like everybody else. Yeah, we take the subway. So yeah, uh, that's 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 last month. This is this month. Hi. That's our new thing. I like that. That's yeah, good. That's my Dan Rather. Uh, what was his saying? I'd, did I'd he have rather a not. I don't know what he had. <laughs> Would you Dan Rather? I'd rather not. <laughs> so this is uh, this is us. This is episode fifty two. Pets National Pet Not Day. National. Oh, internet. National Pet Day is oh, uh, one okay. day this month. It might okay. be international. I don't know. I don't know if other countries like their pets. Do they have Christmas in Russia or whatever? <laughs> whatever that song is. I don't know. I think you're making that up. <laughs> that Sting song where he's. Do they even feel love in Russia? Wow, I yeah. don't even like Sting when you impersonate him, <laughs> which um, is often. Which I feel daily. <laughs> it's a tantric impersonation of Sting because he likes. I know what you did. I didn't like it. <laughs> I would rather not than rather not. Ooh, we could co- <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be talking about some of the most famous pets of Los Angeles. Originally, we wanted to focus mostly on pets of famous people, famous people or just people who had pets that were famous. But Slim Pickens. Oh, Slim Pickens. Had Ooh. no pet. <laughs> so we ended up dipping into pets who were famous for acting and yeah. famous in, in that in sense as well. And also pets who were not even pets. They're just animals. Got in the home. How did you get here? It's a B and E. The yeah. B sense for bear. <laughs> <laughs> the E stands for elephant. <laughs> Very uh, excited to be talking about this because I know that you brought home like a couple books of big name animals and I was like, oh boy, here I we had go. Biography, autobiographies of animals and it for some reason it didn't dawn on me immediately like, oh, this might be satirical. <laughs> um, oh, a monkey didn't write this? 
<laughs> I thought that they knew sign language. I thought he was at least signaling his way through his autobiography. <laughs> Let me address that and start by saying, uh, Jigs the monkey, um, I don't want anything to do with you because I spent like at least two hours. Who's Jigs the monkey? He was the monkey that was in Tarzan who oh, played Cheetah. Okay. So I spent like at least two hours reading up on Jigs and the more I read, the more it came clear that he's a liar he, <laughs> he he did not live to be 80 years old he died when he was like 15 like a good monkey does i guess he didn't evolve into a truth teller <laughs> i thumb my opposable thumb <laughs> at him everything you read about his story he didn't have a sag card he didn't retire to palm springs or anything that they were saying it made me upset i was excited to talk about that i monkey. mean be careful because jig's legal team might come after us this is a lot of let them try let them try bunch of monkeys welcome to the jungle <laughs> this is heavily slanderous it's about time. Knock him down a peg. He'll climb back up. <laughs> He's good at that. He's good at that. Let, let's no longer talk about Jigs, although okay. he does come up a little bit Not, at the end. God damn. But darn uh, it. dog darn it, because uh, do- dogs are new god this month. Oh, that can be a new segment, I'm god gonna, of the month. I'm gonna see how far I can put my microphone down my throat before my eyes yeah, roll baby. over white and I just first die. eat some tofu and then no. let me watch. Stop it. Okay, so my first one is the MGM lion. Leo. Okay, you know I did the research. Uh, you know, uh, excuse me, I, I was just talking about my favorite zodiac sign. Go ahead. So I'd start this story with the roar of the MGM lion, but when I hear the lion roar, I have a primal instinct to soil myself and invent fire. So I'm gonna skip it like i already said the mgn lion plural s what impossible there can't have been more than one lion in this world changelings there can be two lions at any time there's the master and the apprentice (laughs) to start mgm studios just to give you a backstory for like 20 minutes. MGM Studios was a sort of, it was a super studio formed when the movie theater titan Marcus Lowe of Lowe's Theater, now owned by AMC, no relation to AMC, the TV channel, home of The Walking Dead spoilers. Yeah. Which Watching an episode of The Walking Dead, there's a lot of spoilers in there. So this Marcus Lowe, he orchestrated the merger of three smaller studios. There's Metro Picture Corporation, Goldwyn Pictures, and Louis B. Meyer Productions. MGM, Metro Goldwyn Meyer. If you didn't know that, you are D-U-M, dumb, ugly, misinformed. <laughs> they formed April 17th, 1924. Their movie were and still they're known for starting with the upsetting and overly loud roar of a lion but this it didn't start with MGM it didn't no it didn't it started back in the caveman before they would tell a story in the caves they would have a lion Lion. come in and roar and then he would start the story if you really wanted to hear the story you would stick around as the lion attacked you (laughs) and that's how you become king of the jungle so it started in 1916 with Goldwyn Pictures that they're the ones who started it they were a new studio and their publicity executive Howard Dietz decided they needed a mascot so he stole the idea from his alma mater Columbia University who had a lion as their mascot and he just decided to make a lion his mascot so he also decided to give the studio the motto Ars Gratia Artis which means art for art's sake which was definitely not a motto of Columbia <laughs> so to make it known that what you were watching was a Goldwyn movie they put a bumper before it before the movie yeah. saying that's that's why they do that yeah so you know you oh this be. is this one's made by Harvey Weinstein better keep watching hi uh we paid for the movie just just want to say that up front. This is ours. <laughs> this is us. So Stop th- doing that. <laughs> I can't. Melissa's been watching This Is Us, and every time I hear the phrase, that's all I think of. So this bumper said on it, a Goldwyn picture. It had their motto, ours, Grotte or whatever. Yeah. Oh, Groton. Lion O'Groton, which is delicious. Orcs for orcs sake. <laughs> orcs for orcs <laughs> sake. And then in the circle made of film strips was a real lion. But mm. who was this lion? Tell me more about this lion, please. Are you lion? Go ahead. Are you tigered? <laughs> oh, wait. His name was... 
Kerbra, and he was born in the Dublin Zoo, but came into the care of one of the first movie animal trainers ever. And at that time, he was definitely the best one. He was a man named Volney Pfeiffer, or Captain Pfeiffer, I as like he that. liked to be called. I like that too. Someday I would love to be a fake captain. <laughs> Kerbra was renamed Slats to sound more American when he came through Ellis Island. Not Lion Ellis Island. I'm not panthering. Did I do that right? I, I think you nailed it. When Goldwyn came looking for a live lion to be in their logo, he was, I assume, the only lion in town. So as a marketing gimmick, they gave him the stage name Leo. Wasn't Leo. his real name. Slats? Slats. Stage name is Leo. Leo. Nay, Kerbra. Even, even the lion's got to change their name. <laughs> and he had to lose a lot of weight. Ah. That lion's got to be stupable. And what is this, Lion's Manali? I ain't pantherin'. Uh, Stop! (laughs) They gave him the name Leo and they slapped some footage of him into that bumper and the logo we all know and love and are scared by was born. Does that... Is it just me? Because I get scared by that logo. Um, It's loud. I mean, it's it's a frightening image, but like I've... It's comforts me it comforts you well i mean like i've been seeing it it was a bumper for a lot of cartoons if i yeah, remember correctly was. yeah I, mean, I wasn't scared of it but it was before i knew i was supposed to be scared of lions <laughs> i learned later you, i was supposed to be scared so of them. you would have been uh, eaten way back when yeah probably so the first movie that this was used on was polly of the circus i guess fittingly in yeah. 1917 but this was still the silent era so there was no roar by slow oh, like, so he just kind of looked around that's pretty nice too i'd rather see a lion looking around yeah confused Um, and I I get the jump on him now (laughs) I roar at him he who roars first Delta because even the roar goes on for too long yeah, and, I wa- and, and just like the looking around he's just kind of yeah that's funny for like <laughs> 12 seconds just kind of looking around but that performance he was it was enough to last for over a decade they used that same thing so in 1924 when Goldwyn merged into MGM the new company decided to keep the same logo almost identically but now it would say MGM Pictures instead of Goldwyn Pictures so now Slat's image was being used in MGM movies starting with the first one was Lon Chaney's He Who Gets Slapped which was that same year he was also the line. Um, have I heard of that movie? I've never even heard the title before. How many Lon Chaney movies? Have, like they've all been Thousands, lost anyway. Yeah. The Man of a Thousand Pictures, nah. all of them lost. <laughs> that same year, Slats retired from show business along with Captain Pfeiffer, who took him with him to Gillette, New Jersey to live on a farm. He started to board animals that were used on Broadway in New York City. But I guess MGM still had say over what happened with Slats. So from there, they loaned him to the Philadelphia Zoo until he died in 1936. He was buried at Pfeiffer's farm and Pfeiffer planted a pine tree over the grave to hold down the lion's evil spirit. Oh my God. You could have him back when he's dead, Pfeiffer. Not so much a threat. Just, nah, it's just th- Those are the terms of the contract. It's the cycle of life, yeah. The farm's not there anymore, but the tree is still there, apparently. Nice. Uh, so get your shovel. But Slat's legacy wouldn't last forever. He's not the same lion. You're lying. Um, go ahead. <laughs> in 1920, uh, it's still funny. In 19, <laughs> keep at that. Keep at it. In 1928, the old Slat's logo was looking dated and they wanted a new sexier lion to replace him. Enter Jackie. Jacqueline? J- Jack Lion? <laughs> Jack Lion Serengeti. I'm not lying. Jackie was born 1915 somewhere in the Nubian desert in Sudan. And according to his trainer, Melvin Kuntz, he was the ugliest cat you had ever seen. (laughs) That hurts. I don't even know what this lion looks like and it hurts. Think about what he went through that looked like that. But nepotism was strong back then and Jackie came from lion actor royalty. His mom, Stubby, was also a performer and his grandma, Mamie, was one of the first animals ever on film in America. So Jackie, ugly though he was, made maybe the biggest contribution to 
to the MGM logo because by the time he came onto the scene, sound was a thing in movies. So to add an extra punch to their logo, on July 31st, 1928, they had Jackie roar into the camera and the genre of upsetting movie logos was born. <laughs> the first movie that his roar was used in was White Shadows in the South Seas in 1928, which wasn't a talkie, but it did have some sound effects and music in it. Yeah. Did people jump out of the way of the train? No, they jumped out of the way of the White Shadow. <laughs> they into they the mouth of a lion. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not afraid by that lion, but I think that's the ocean, and that scares <laughs> me. So Jackie's roar was used in every MGM movie until 1932, when they replaced his roar with that of a panther, because Why? it was more the sound that they were looking for. Oh. Lions don't make the right roar. Yeah, so don't, try, don't tell a, a lion that. Which I, so for a long time, there have been two urban legends about the recording of Jackie's roar. Do you know about this? No. Why do you not know your Hollywood gossip? <laughs> I mean, do you even like lions? <laughs> the first of these urban legends said, says that when they were filming him, Jackie was supposed to just silently look around like Slats did because it sells. Yeah, it's a tradition at this point. <laughs> he was supposed to just look around, but while they were filming, according to the legend, two bank robbers who used the warehouse that they were filming in as a storage place for their stolen loot burst in, not knowing that they were filming a lion inside. <laughs> and Jackie saw them and roared right as they were filming. And then he mauled one of them who died two days later, while the other one ran outside and was hit by a cop car rushing to the bank that they had just robbed. And those two robbers, uh, Evan Costello. <laughs> Evan and Costello die in real life. <laughs> but if that were true, then I don't know why they still kept Jackie around when he also supposedly killed his trainer and his two assistants the next day while Alfred Hitchcock watched. Those are the two urban legends about this lion. None, they're not true. How can we make them true? <laughs> We're going to have to clone Alfred Hitchcock. I've been saying it for years. We've got the lion. We've got the trainers. We've got the bank robbers. We've got all, all the missing. stuff. It's Alfred the... Hitchcock is endangered. I can get a lion. The fact is, Jackie was actually the nicest of the lions that we're talking about here. One night, a stray cat and her kittens made their way into Jackie's cage. And instead of a collage of baby cat parts all over the place <laughs> the next morning, his trainer found all the kittens so Looking wet because Jackie had been cleaning them all night That's with his tongue. Sweet. Jackie. Oh, Jackie, Jackie, baby. He was also the lion that MGM made the most out of being their mascot. So he was paraded around the country under the same publicity name of Leo for everyone to see yeah. to promote their movies. Come see the White Seas or the White Seas or whatever it yeah, was. It. So it's really scary. Once <laughs> fade in on wind. Ooh. Ah, oh, no. How? He was even toured around the country as Leo, the MGM flying lion. Uh, why do they call him that, Greg? <laughs> why do they call him flying lion? Lion. They built a special plane with a special cage enclosed in glass as the body of the plane that they would put Jackie in and literally fly him around the country for people to see. It's so funny that there was an era of flight before it became commercial where it was just gimmicks. Yeah. Amelia Earhart set a record for the longest flight with a lion. <laughs> with a live lion. <laughs> Dead lion anyone could do, but a live a lion. Lot. However, having a lion on board was apparently not easy to calculate weight wise and it turned out the plane was too heavy so five hours into a flight from san diego to new york the plane crash landed into the arizona desert which i'm less shocked that this crazy plane crashed than i am that they were flying for five hours out of san diego and they were still only in arizona uh, the pilot and jackie were fine but the pilot had to go get help so he left jackie in the cage for four days with a bunch of milk water and sandwiches and when they finally went back for him he was fine and he got renamed leo the lucky which was a nickname he took advantage of because he would 
would go on to also survive an earthquake, two train wrecks, an explosion in the studio, and a shipwreck. Well, I mean, he's a cat. He has nine lives. And he used all of them. Every single one of them in extreme circumstances. (laughs) He was never just sick. Leo, the earthquake riding lion. Leo, the train riding lion. Leo, the explosive lion. So Jackie was the lion in all black and white MGM movies until 1956. Mm -hmm. So he was in over a hundred of them. His most famous was probably The Wizard of Oz. But he wasn't alive. He didn't live, you know, 50 years. Jackie retired in 1931 and on February 26, 1935, he died. But the McPherson Museum in McPherson, Kansas claims to have the skin (laughs) of either Jackie or Slats that they somehow got after they died. But there's no way to prove this and also someone stole it from the museum a few years back. Oh, that's double gross. Oh, that beautiful creature. Skin it for me. And then a hundred years later, I'm going to steal the skin. Can we deep fry it also and then eat it? But even though his image was in use until 1956, he wasn't the only MGM lion during that time. So like I said, he was in all the black and white movies, but they used other lions for the color movies. MGM was toying with the new Technicolor technology. So from 1928 to 32, they used a lion named Telly in their color movies. Okay. And then from 1932 to 35, they used one named Coffee. I know you like that. I like my lions like I like my coffee named Coffee. (laughs) (laughs) For some reason, neither Telly or Coffee, they're not recognized as official MGM lions. It might have been that they didn't have the technology, the Technicolor technology right just yet. So they were ashamed of these lions. We're the Telly and Coffee of podcasts. Yeah, because we're so colorful. (laughs) When they got it right, they brought in a new lion to get the job done on their new perfected color movies. His name was Tanner. And Tanner had the reputation of being the meanest of all of the MGM lions and he had the scariest roar. They used the roar as the these comics you're talking about, these Com. cartoons, these moving the, comics. They're well, for the kitties, right? I watch the funny pages move on the screen now. Come I don't on. watch stuff for kitties. I fight in the wars. They used the roar of Tanner as the sound effect for a lion in all the MGM cartoons. So whenever you heard Tom and or Jerry roar, it was t- Tanner. Tanner. Well, Tanner's mean and I don't want to support that because I like Jack. Jackie. I like a Jackie. Yeah, Jackie's nice. I would love to be licked all night by Jackie. I would love to crash land in Arizona and live off sandwiches for four days. Yeah, that's your dream. The biggest movie that Tanner showed up before was probably, I would say, Gone with the Wind. But time keeps moving on. And even the ferocious Tanner was replaced in 1956 by George, who was hired because he had a huge mane, but he was too timid and nobody liked him. Yeah. You talk about Coffee and Telly being us. I think timid and not liked <laughs> is uh, the lion that's us. This is us, a lion. So they even had to dub Tanner's roar over George's roar to yeah. make him interesting. He only lasted about a year until the MGN lion to end all lions was brought in. The only lion whose actual name was Leo. Oh boy. He was born in the Royal Burger Zoo in Arnhem, Netherlands. He was by far the youngest lion to be used by MGM and you could recognize him because he has he doesn't have much of a mane. It's very cute. You know what? Actually, yeah, this for, lion's me. The cute, cute young one. The cute young one the that cute young sweeps one. Hollywood. The cute young one from the Netherlands. That's me, all right. <laughs> he also had an acting career outside of the logos. He was in several of the Tarzan movies with Ooh. that stupid monkey. Jigs? Um, My hero Jigs? He's been in the most MGM movies of any of the other lions because he has been the lion in almost every MGM movie since yeah. he came on some 60 years ago. He's long dead, but he, he just did it so perfectly. Perfectly, they never bothered to replace him. The only MGM movies he wasn't in were the ones in the 60s that they used a special stylized lion logo in with mm. a drawing of a lion instead. This was only in three movies. Okay, hit me with them. I bet they're funny. Uh, you've definitely seen one of these. Grand Prix. The subject was roses. 
Uh, so what's the movie? <laughs> 2001 A Space Odyssey. That has a stylized logo? What yeah, is it? It's a drawing of a oh, lion. Oh. There's no lion. There's no other lion after okay. Leo. He's. It's just a drawing of a lion. They saved the big roar in 2001 for 20 minutes in when the tiger roars in that. <laughs> the text jigs, uh, or man dresses jigs. <laughs> he played like... all the monkeys. That was his Norbit. <laughs> there was a lot, plenty of cartoons where like bugs would come out and he would roar. That was another thing. Like the Marx Brothers would have movies yeah. where like Groucho would be there roaring or yeah. making fun of a roar or something and yeah it's been made fun of to no end so we, you know, we get some more material <laughs> let's add to that time honored <laughs> tradition so leo's roar has changed also because by the 80s his roar was like scratchy and dated they, so they needed to add a, yeah. a new wave beat to it yeah they <laughs> they had depeche mode remix <laughs> the roar. so as a favor the sound designer who was working on a movie for mgm that movie being poltergeist mm. he had been gathering different cat sounds for that movie so he provided a new roar that they could use in their logo so the roar that you hear in the MGM logo now is actually the roar of a tiger that they recorded for Poltergeist so in 1992 they even filed a trademark on that roar but it took them 20 years and they finally got it in 2012 so officially there have been five MGM lines but seven have actually been in MGM movies also the voice of a panther and a tiger (laughs) so just explain that to everyone in the time between seeing that logo and the movie starting next time you watch (laughs) an MGM movie and that's the MGM Lions it's Uh, weird how very Hollywood that story is because like we have the ones on the screen but also like we have overdubbed with I know. Panthers and, and I think he might have killed Alfred Hitchcock <laughs> we're gonna get the young sexy line because that old line I know that's just not gonna do anymore we are talking about lions so I thought I'd talk about lions too this next story yeah, I'm I... done hearing about lions can you talk about something else you have anything about anteaters I'm, I'm feeling I like have something anteater. about armadillos um, this <laughs> one's called Tippy Hedron and not the birds <laughs> this one's for the tippies <laughs> so on the set of her first film which was Alfred Hitchcock's 1963 The Birds uh, was that her first movie? yeah she was a model before that and then she became uh, that was her really first sense. actress first time as being there. there's a scene where her character Melanie first Dan- time she saw a bird also <laughs> what the hell is this? is it a little plane? <laughs> is this a velociraptor? <laughs> I know a lot about dinosaurs but what is this? there's a scene in The Birds where her character Melanie Daniels is trapped inside of a bedroom and she's being attacked by an onslaught of rabid angry birds to best portray the no t- relation no relation so the best portray portray the terror of the scene and also to get his rocks off the only way he knew how he had a bunch of prop men viciously throw real birds at her gulls and ravens and crows on my at tippy hedron for five days <laughs> one of the birds gouged her cheek and narrowly missed her eye the experience was really traumatizing thus began a long and complicated relationship with animals that's upsetting yeah no i, I love that movie and hearing that i kind of don't want to watch it anymore the birds was a huge success and after that there was another hitchcock film marnie where he threw a, hmm. a whole brood of marnies at her <laughs> He kept throwing the color red at her <laughs> and it gouged her cheek. Imagine that almost it? took her eye out. This bird will take your eye out, Tippy. Her career continued on, but our story here starts in 1969. I can think of someone who wanted a pole licked. What? <laughs> <laughs> Remember those kids last month we told to listen to the pets one? Stay tuned next month. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep trying. We'll keep riding line between being for adults and being for kids and pick neither one. Her career continued on. Like I said, our story starts in 1969 in North Africa on the set of Satan's Harvest. While on location, Tippy and her husband at the time, Noel Marshall, met a not terrifying lion named Dandelion, who was a dandelion. <laughs> the two of them became very interested after meeting Dandelion and big cats. After that, they took a trip to Mozambique. There was a huge game preserve there and it was 
there that they saw an abandoned house inhabited by 30 lions and their cubs sleeping what? in window frames, resting on the porch swing. It's like a abandoned house and a pride took over. So there was just lions all over the house. That's a lion tenement. It's a sequel to Lion King where they move in. Lion King 2, heavy as the crown. Nah, a home like regular people and they start wearing pants and stuff. <laughs> it was what someone would call an animal house. <laughs> so the two of them were really getting fascinated by the sight of a bunch of lions living in a house. And it wasn't, lo- <laughs> it wasn't long before the two of them were struck by the idea of creating a film about it, which is what Hollywood people do. So they decided to do it. A movie about lions living in a house. That's what, the, what? that's what the idea was. So they wanted to show everybody this this image that they saw. So they wanted to do a movie about lions living in a house. So back in the States, they began shopping around and asking questions to animal trainers. And someone told them that they couldn't just force a bunch of adult lions from different packs, different prides to live together and expect it to go well. I've seen Big Brother. I think uh, they can. We'll film every angle of it. They have to do challenges too or else no one will be interested. <laughs> what needed to be done was they had to create a pride of their own of about 50 homegrown lions introducing <laughs> one at a time to their new environment. What's funny about this is that everything that happens makes logical sense in regards to sequence. We want to make a movie about lions. We need lions. Lions <laughs> are going to cohabitate. They're going to have trouble cohabitating, so they need to adjust. We're going to make our own pack, so we'll get a pack. So you keep taking steps, but if you take a step back, it's a bunch of Hollywood actors buying lions to make a pride. Well, like, who's going to build the house? <laughs> lions got to build the house. We're going to need to train a lot of badgers to build a house. <laughs> the carpenters of the animal kingdom. <laughs> the Amish of the animal kingdom. <laughs> so there was an animal rental business in the Soledad Canyon, which is in Santa Clarita, which is where we meet Neil the Lion. Neil the Lion, Lion. Neil before the Lion, Neil the Lion. <laughs> there was a Life magazine spread that I got really into. I saw pictures. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. I saw pictures online a while ago, and it's Tippi Hedren, her family, Mally and Griffith, is her daughter, obviously. Mm-hmm. and there's a lion in their house and I thought oh I'll just write about that Griffith by the way an animal that's kind of part lion go on Griffin. that's Griffin Griffin almost there though <laughs> isn't it Griffin Park so that's why I got interested in the story it's not as simple as just Neil the lion but Neil was their first lion that they had Neil wasn't like all those other lions you see on TV that mauled people Neil was different Neil liked to be hugged he was very this is the kind of lion that Alfred Hitchcock <laughs> makes kill people <laughs> homie don't me. play that I'm not gonna tell you about the long conversation today I had somebody about Jamie Foxx and how long I've been watching Jamie Foxx and thinking oh Oh, yeah, I've, that's right. He's been with me my entire life. May Jamie Foxx be with all of you the, your entire <laughs> life. Go on. I had to sign cross. Two Sorry, crosses, but... slightly askew so that they're exes. The man running the animal rent. Thank you. That was funny. It took me a second. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Do my job. So the man running the animal rental service was Ron Oxley. He said, if you want to know anything about lions. Wait a minute. Does everyone in this yeah, they story. All have, <laughs> they all have animal names. <laughs> You're reading the script of Zootopia. <laughs> this was written by Walt Disney. What's the problem? Yeah, Walt Disney's last movie, Zootopia. Zootopia. Someday I want to make a movie about the bureaucracy of the animal animal kingdom <laughs> it's for kids so ron oxley is the man who runs the animal rental service in solo that can he says if you want to know anything about lions you have to live with them for a while why did you marry him so tippy and her husband thought okay that's fair let's keep neil the 400 pound lion as a pet in sherman oaks where they lived off of beverly glen on knob hill drive so there was a lion living in, in sherman house. oaks yeah no well, it's more than just a lion but yeah there was a lion <laughs> there so the whole family became involved in caring for neil helping to feed and care for him he even shared the bed with tippy's daughter melanie who if you don't know like i said is melanie griffith she let her little daughter sleep in bed with a lion that they just adopted a fully grown lion that has not known them since birth well uh, what i was reading was they had it as a cub but i think that Uh. i don't know i think it's like five weeks to five months is where they usually grow into from like cubs to lions i don't know for sure i don't know if you've ever seen the life magazine spread they did but there's a full grown lion in bed with a little girl and it's terrifying because the size of the line is just like hi but it's like takes up half the it's a lot of pictures like that i've always wanted to hug a lion or a bear but i don't know if i would fall asleep with my neck 
pointing towards them. No, yeah, for sure. I wouldn't like kick it in its sleep. You accidentally punch it in the <laughs> nose and it accidentally eats your face. It accidentally bites the top part of my body off. <laughs> if you see the pictures, there's one where Tippy is resting her back against the lion as if he was on a couch. Like she's just like resting on it. He's laying by you the- sure it wasn't just the lion's skin from the MGM lion? Oh, that it's Jackie. Um, yeah, it's the skin of the MGM lion on a jaguar. That's what I mean. <laughs> Neil's laying by the pool. He's sharing a bed with Melanie. He's messing around with the fridge. He's doing- He's doing things that like regular cats do. Okay, you know how like a cat where you're playing with a cat and it'll like put its teeth on your finger like it's teething. Yeah. It's doing that to Melanie Griffith's head, but like it's a it's like oh a lion. God. After Neil came Casey, who came from another physician who had a lion as a pet. Wait a minute, at the same time they kept yeah, adding into the house. So oh, that boy. house in Sherman Oaks had like a couple lions. Nija was another lion, a cub they had there. Then there was Mike and Ike, Trance and Bridget, all adorable. One of them was cinnamon flavored. <laughs> Reading some of these stories, it sounded like Swiss Family Robinson in Sherman Oaks. <laughs> They needed to bar up the kitchen windows because Gregory, the Siberian tiger. Of course. Siberi- Wait a minute. Why'd they bring a tiger in? It wasn't just going to be lions. Eventually, they had like tigers. You know what comes... I mean, first comes lion, then comes tigers. You know what happens next. You know what? You know, I really hate wordplay. You um, did it. I was, <laughs> I was just you, telling you that a bear's coming. You, oh, my. <laughs> you grabbed my hand and led me into it. They had to like bar up the windows because Gregory, the Siberian tiger, kept trying to climb through the kitchen window. They're like, stop. You're like a giant thing. <laughs> I just want to go to Casa de Cadillac. What's the big deal? One of the animals there, I think it might have been a tigan. It's a t- is that what I think it is? A mm-hmm. mixture of a, a mixture of lion and tiger. Uh, and a tide pod? Yeah, that's it. Uh, it's a tadpole and a tiger. Um, <laughs> they took over the uh, one of the offices there at the house for like three months, allowing no one inside while she trained her cub. David, who was another lion, went to Africa for a commercial. Los Angeles, even the animals have commercials. Eventually, Ron Oxley would inspire Tippy to take in five more cubs to race at her Sherman Oaks home, watching them grow from being big old cubs to terrifying looking lions. <laughs> After some of her neighbors in the valley were complaining, Tippy Hedren bought the Soledad Canyon animal rental area and turned into a preserve for lions calling it shambhala mm-hmm. which is ancient sanskrit for a meeting place of peace and harmony for all beings animal and human that sounds like a trap anyways her sherman oaks home would become a transition area for the lions to get used to the family and then shambhala would be used for them to move into the pride let's keep this in mind we're still doing yeah, the, all of this to the, make a movie about she, lions yeah, living she's in a still house. raising a von trap family yeah. of lions <laughs> this is all in preparation they're leading up to their infinity war <laughs> I'll put it in terms you can understand. And I did, and now I'm super excited. But it must have been around this point that Tippy's intense move from movie making to animal activism. She might not have realized it, but now she's just growing a pride of animals. And like, she wants to say, oh, we're getting ready for a movie, but like, clearly not just that. <laughs> she moved to the animal compound surrounded by lions, tigers, and a couple of African elephants and some other exotic felines that she bought for the film. Shambhala was no place for harmony, though, maybe between the animals and the people, but it was a nightmare of natural disasters. They had floods and they had fires, mm-hmm. they had a Evacuate for some of those. I um, hope they had two of each. Why are you building a boat? <laughs> Imagine being in Santa Clarita and there was a flood and everyone was evacuating and then there was just an elephant. And, like, uh, yeah, What's a lion floats by. Didn't that happen in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? The cow floats by. A cow floats by a roof. Just as scary. Shambhala was the first birthplace in captivity, anyways, of a Thai Tigon. So a Tigon is the offspring of a lion and tiger, as we said. A Thai Tigon comes from the mating of a Tigon and a tiger. So abominations. Oh my God. This is, this is sick. This is yeah, the yeah. island of Dr. 
Sanhedrin. <laughs> so by the end of 1979, the house count ran 71 lions, 26 tigers, 10 cougars, 9 black panthers, 4 leopards, 2 jaguars. Speaking of the Avengers. 2 jaguars, 1 tiger, 2 elephants, 6 black swans, 4 Canadian geese. <laughs> Speaking seven, of Darren Aronofsky. Swear to go God. On. I swear to God. Swear to dog. Swear uh, to me. 7 <laughs> flamingos, 4 cranes, 2 peacocks, and a marabou stork. What's a marabou? Is that like a caribou? I think it's a stork. Oh, a marabou stork. A stork. Okay. It's, it's one that's where, Well, that's where the baby. That's how the baby <laughs> got the there. Baby. That's how they had grandchildren. So you said they have 71 lions there? Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. That, they're going to need a bigger house. So let's not forget about the movie. Originally titled... We? Don't worry. Uh, it's unforgettable. The movie was originally titled Lions, Lions, and More Lions, which <laughs> is something that we would have done. But thankfully, it was changed to Roar and was in production at, at this time. So... Oh. I've heard about this. We'll get to it. Oh, no. I think I know how this story ends. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, it was 11-year production, but I don't know if they counted raising the animals as production, but it was mayhem. It's a reproduction. I talked to the Thai Tigon. Uh, by this time, <laughs> having spent almost seven years with a collection of animals, it was relative mayhem. So, like, it's as much mayhem as raising a bunch of wild animals and then not killing each other all the time. So, the <laughs> Did any of them ever kill each other? Do you know? No, I didn't. I didn't read any stories about that. The story of Roar about the movie is about a scientist making a study of big cats in Africa. His family comes to visit him. He's not home, but they, when they arrive, the family has to run room for room seeing a house full of lions, which is what this they is wanted to do. The fiction movie. The fiction movie, yeah, until he comes home and then poachers get involved. That was how they turned what they saw in Africa into a movie. <laughs> it's not important what the movie's really about because it wasn't very successful, but people tend to go back and watch it because it's billed as the most dangerous movie ever made. Yeah. Why? <laughs> in the making of the film, it is said that 70 cast members were injured in a variety of matters, although... Tip- One for each lion. <laughs> although Tippi Hedren claims that it was closer to seven. Even there, though, but... Come on, it was only seven. It was seven. Most of the footage capturing the injuries was included in the final cut of the film, resulting in real blood on the screen. Really? Real, like, terror. Hedren was bitten in the neck... Please say Sorry. it was by the stork. One more time. Hedron was bitten in the back of the neck by a lion and suffered a fractured leg and multiple scalp wounds. Oh my God. Melanie Griffith clawed in the face and needed facial reconstructive surgery. Her husband, Noel Marshall, was wounded so many times he was hospitalized with gangrene. An AD narrowly escaped death when a lion missed his jugular by an inch. Oh my God. And the director of photography, Jean de Bont, was effectively scalped when a lion <laughs> bit him and tore off the top of his head and needed 220 stitches. Oh my God. Yeah. Why did they choose now to they were biding their time uh, biting yeah. their time <laughs> listen making movies is hard <laughs> it was str- the craft services wasn't good enough <laughs> they were craft services so that's the physical losses the financial losses <laughs> emotional losses <laughs> the financial losses accrued something like 15 million dollars after the they only made 2 million dollars back after spending 17 million producing the film as for emotional losses Noel and Tippy divorced not long after war was oh released God. but Shambhala is still active is yeah. still an active animal sanctuary in 1983, the actress established the Roar Foundation, to, we shouldn't have called it that, to provide <laughs> protection, shelter, care, and maintenance for the animals there at Shambhala. The foundation also conducts educational programs and research, and Noel Marshall, her ex-husband, still continues to provide the bulk of Shambhala's financial support. Weren't you convinced like a year ago that Tippi Hedren was dead? Was no. Eva Marie Saint? Eva yeah. Marie Saint. Even though I had just been at the Hollywood Bowl and she walked out on stage and you still looked me in the eye and said, Eva Marie Saint is dead, Daniel. Why were they talking about both on the waterfront and Spider? 
Spider-Man and being like, she's dead. I wouldn't have come out of nowhere and be like, she's dead. Like, I saw a news thing. You're, you you're saw Tippi Hedren. <laughs> Tippi Hedren has since acknowledged that it was, quote, stupid beyond belief to put her family at risk by allowing an animal yeah, with, tippy. with quote, no conscience or remorse genes to roam free. She has said that as I made the movie, I got into the issue of stopping the government from allowing people to breed lions and tigers as pets. They shouldn't be pets. They're apex predators, top of the food chain. One of the four Aside of the most me. dangerous animals in the world. They can't be pets. So she's now an advocate making sure people don't adopt these animals as mm. pets, which is really responsible on her part. Shambhala safaris are now offered to the public, 18 years and older, twice a month on reservation basis. They cost $35 per person. Re- reservations must be made in advance. And from what I can tell, I'm not sure, but from what I can tell from my reading, you can go and Tippy Hedren can give you a tour. Yeah. Yeah, for like a four-hour tour. I've heard that tour. I've heard that tour. I've heard that before. Yeah, I've heard that tour. Yeah. Uh, I've always wanted to go there and see all those lions. That sounds pretty cool. I, and that's not that far. It's like Akin, right? That cougar. Tippy. That's weird. It's really weird. I, mean, I don't know. It was I the ke- 70s. Or- that's what I kept saying was, you yeah. know, it's Everything the 70s. was lions and cocaine. There's a long history of like TV shows about like people living with animals. Yeah. I mean, like Tarzan's about that. But like there's something in the 70s where they thought that they could do it like in real life. Yeah. Well, they grew up on Tarzan movies. I bet that monkey Jigs told them <laughs> they could do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Move him in the house. What else? He's out smoking six cigarettes. Yeah. On his roller skates. And he had eight pool balls in his mouth also. He broke <laughs> all the records. That monkey. That monkey. Sure. Enough of the lions. We're done with lions. Are we done with lions? We're done with lions. There's actually one more lion, but we're done with lions. Let's get to more uh, nice animals. Nice and baby. Uh, nice animals. Oh boy. Oh, Joe with the, the big fangs and the whatnot. Go ahead. I'm going to be talking right now about Toto, everyone's favorite character from The Wizard of Oz that isn't a hanging munchkin. <laughs> I like uh, who plays the witch, Margaret. For some reason, I want to say Margaret Atwood. <laughs> I almost said Margaret Thatcher, so that's just as bad. It doesn't matter. I was oh. going to make fun of her burns that she got from filming oh, yeah. it. Well, she's going to get some burns in this one, too. <laughs> I'll lay the first bombshell on you right off the bat. Your favorite male actor of all time, Toto the dog? Yeah. Female. It was not a boy. That was a girl. Get used to There's it. There's no such thing as gender. So, this little bitch, she was born in Altadena in November 1933. Oh, born in Altadena? Yeah, she was in Altadena. You're crazy. Toto, you're crazy. Little old puppy from Altadena. <laughs> November 1933, she was a black cairn terrier, and her name was Terry. She was abandoned as a puppy, and she was taken in by a couple. Uh, I wrote that as if there's a descriptor after couple, just a couple. One of her favorite things to do was to pee on the carpet, so the couple brought her to the only man they knew could help her, Carl Spitz dog trainer extraordinaire. Oh, extraordinary. He was born in 1894 in Heidelberg, Germany. Oh, the guy. Yeah, not the dog. <laughs> the dog wasn't born the, in 1894? This dog was actually related to Jigs the monkey, so he lived <laughs> to be 400 years old. So this man, Carl Spitz is not a dog. He's a man. He was born in 1894, uh, but uh, what is species anymore? What are years? So he was born Heidelberg, Germany. He was the son and grandson of dog trainers. Oh, okay. So naturally, he obeyed his family's command, <laughs> and he started training police dogs in Germany during World War the First one, which is, I can't say is something I would be proud of, but okay. But in 1926, he moved to New York, then to Chicago, and then to Los Angeles. And the next year, he opened his very own dog training school called the Hollywood Dog Training School nice. at 12239 Ventura Boulevard in Studio City, where that big Russian-looking restaurant, that's actually a Chinese restaurant, is. As you can tell by the name, he decided to specialize his dog training and training dogs to act in movies. And it was a high-class facility to match the glamour of dog movie people. <laughs> so there was a pool to train dogs for water scenes. Each dog got privately bathed. So they each had custom meals meals prepared for them by an in-house chef. I wish you could see me roll my eyes. You know what? You wish you could have a meal prepared for you by a chef. I want to be that dog! 
fuck? The only chef you've ever known is microwave. <laughs> Maybe the meanest thing I've ever heard. In my I life. Well, don't True. put down dogs. I like to put down dogs. <laughs> oh, oh, why, 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 why? Hang on, the studio audience is groaning. Um, ooh, 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 ooh. That's jigs. <laughs> so there was also an intercom system throughout the whole place. So if the dog started barking at night, Spitz could whistle over the speakers and calm them all down at once without having to get out of bed. So in its prime, they had 75 dogs living there, which are just as dangerous as lions. lions My yeah. story is scary too. The reason Spitz was so successful at this was because Spitz had been one of the pioneers of training dogs using silent commands so that people who were deaf could still give commands to their dogs. Oh, cool. And then once movies developed sound and you couldn't be screaming at a dog behind the camera to roll over, this technique came in handy and his dogs became the go-to dogs for talking movies. In 1935, the school was moved to 12350 Riverside Drive in Valley Village and during World War II, Spitz convinced the military to let him train dogs for battle at Fort MacArthur and he helped form the Canine Corps for the Army and the Marines. Like, what are you doing? Like, pick up a gun. He trained the dogs to pick up a gun. <laughs> their bullet is worse than their bite. <laughs> then in the 50s, he bought a kennel at 10805 Van Owen Street in North Hollywood from Lassie's trainer and made that the new Hollywood Dog Training School, which it still is to this day. You can go there and you know, train train your pooch. So Spitz spent the rest of his life training dogs and judging dog shows until he died September 15, 1976, and he was buried at Forest Lawn where W.C. Fields drove by once. <laughs> but back to the real story of this story. While Spitz's main focus was on dog actors, he still worked with regular pets. A working class pet. Yeah, uh, the blue collar pets because <laughs> they were flea collars and that's the color they come in. That's why Terry the dog's family left her with him to fix her bedwetting problem in 1933. So once her training was completed, Complete, Spitz called up the family to pick up their dog and pay him, but the phone was disconnected and he realized that they never had any intention of ever coming oh. back to pick her up. I'll just wait here by the door until they come get <laughs> I me. You know, I know we said that those lions were us. Actually, this is us. <laughs> this is us. So he took it upon himself to adopt her. So now she was his pet. So Spitz being Spitz, he couldn't help himself. So he decided to get her into acting. Her first movie was Ready for Love with Ida Lupino in 1934. She was one year old, but later that year, she got her first big break as Rags in Bright Eyes with Shirley Temple. Oh, okay. So her audition consisted of playing with Shirley Temple's dog Ching Ching and she made little dimples or whatever they call her giggle so she got the part. After that, Terry was in a few more movies like Stable Mates with Greg's old friend Mickey Rooney. Oh, I hate him. She was in Fury by Fritz Lang and The oh. Buccaneer by Cecil B. DeMille. Wow. She's got a solid IMDb page. It's better than yours. Where were stop. you at? Let's <laughs> stop it. I was in an audience shot of Conan. I, you know, I was actually um, I was in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I was a stand-in for a big sword. They used me as the tennis ball for the CGI thing that would later become, which would later become a sword. Yeah, recognize me. But in 1938, Destiny came calling. MGM and their Lion executives, which I think that was the point of my story, they were making a movie of L. Frank Baum's book, The Wizard of Oz. And Spitz knew there was a dog in it that looked exactly like Terry. So he looked through the book and he saw what sort of acting she might be required to do in that role. And they trained her and then they went into the audition fully prepared for what may come and after taking one look at her, they hired her on the spot. She was great on set and Judy Garland loved her even though she complained that she had bad breath. Ooh, which one? Clearly the dog complained <laughs> about Judy Garland. Obviously. I mean, stop being fanciful. <laughs> Fancy feast. Terry was making $125 a week from this movie, which was twice as much as most of the other actors aside from the main ones, including the Munchkins, which the Lollipop Guild was not happy about. We're going to check our union rights for the Lollipop Guild, but I'm pretty sure this is not... F we represent the lawyers from the Lollipop <laughs> Yes, we do. Yes, we do. 
Yes, we do. Supposedly, Toto's actually in more scenes of the movie than Dorothy is. What? Really? Yeah. I mean, Dorothy isn't in every scene. She's like asleep or captured in some points. And Toto's Terry. Rowdy. But it wasn't a completely stress-free experience for Terry. She was terrified by the wind machine that was used to make the tornado. We all were. Um, <laughs> we all were. It's, yeah. They tried to make it less scary, but they yeah. replaced the noise with the, the sound vacuum. of the MGM lions. They uh, replaced the MGM lion sound with a vacuum, and Terry was just flipping. At one point, one of the wicked witches winky guards mm-hmm. stepped on her foot and sprained it and Garland insisted that Terry get some time off the guard was hanged next to the merchant <laughs> the production got a stand in while she was gone and Terry lived with Garland for the two weeks she spent recovering after which Garland wanted to adopt her from Spritz but he refused Terry was hospitalized for two weeks which in dog years is a year go ahead <laughs> obviously this made Terry the most famous dog on the planet being in this movie so she was at the premiere of the movie at the Chinese theater Terry it's ironic she came from what became a Chinese restaurant to the Chinese theater the Terry story so she gave out her paw print for autographs in 1942 Spitz took her on a bus tour with his other famous dogs like Jerry from Call of the Wild the dog from Wuthering Heights and the dog from Swiss Family Robinson Ah. Terry had been listed in the credits of the Wizard of Oz as Toto and that's how everyone knew her so also in 1942 Spitz just changed her name to Toto she went on to be in several other movies after this including Tortilla Flat but in 1945 she retired at age 12 having been in according to her IMDB page 21 movies but the Wizard of Oz was the only one she was ever listed in the credits of but I guess what they say is true because not long after she retired she died on September 1st 1945 at age 13 she was survived by her kid Rami who also acted in movies the tramp that knocked her up was nowhere to be found (laughs) abandon that boy there's confusion about where exactly Toto was buried because there's a memorial at Hollywood forever Mm -hmm. to her but that wasn't put up until 2011 L. Frank Baum's great-grandson was at that ceremony but Toto was not there because she was buried in the backyard of Spitz's ranch on Riverside but the reason they moved to the location on Van Owen in the 50s was because the 101 was being built right through his land and Spitz didn't feel like digging up an old dog he buried a decade earlier and he probably didn't even know where she was anymore so the current location of Toto's grave is somewhere under the 101 freeway (laughs) in Sherman Oaks right now and if that makes you sad just be even more sad knowing that someone's driving over her body as we speak right now. That hurts my feelings and just another thing replaced by a freeway. (laughs) Now dogs are being replaced by freeways. Now we're going to talk about another feline. It's very near and dear to my heart. Oh yeah. I forgot who you were talking about. Is it Heathcliff? Yes. Yeah. I don't like Garfield. I like Heathcliff. This segment's going to be called Everybody Wants to Be That Darn Cat. (laughs) You you are sticking with naming these Yeah, I like it a lot. It's fun. It gives me uh, a little bit of joy because there's not a lot. Don't do that. It messes up the recording. <laughs> a lot of people seem to think that the best day of the school year is the last day. Those people clearly need yeah, more schooling. Yeah. I'm sorry. The best day of any school year, kindergarten to college, was when a random animal, usually a dog, would storm the school grounds <laughs> and make the faculty look a fool as they try to chase him away. That is the best funniest thing that ever happened. So let's go to Echo Park, 1952. Specifically an area known as Elysian Heights, which is the northern, more residential area on Echo Park Avenue. It's connected with Elysian Park and Elysian Valley. One day... Are you familiar with that area? One day in 1952, a gray-striped tabby neighborhood cat wandered into Elysian Heights Elementary School on the corner of Baxter and Echo Park Avenue. And he was noticed... Familiar with that street? I don't know anything. I'm real dumb. He was noticed fairly quickly by the kids, who of course were very excited and curious why this cat had wandered into the school. The teacher was ready to ask the cat to leave, but the students pointed out, you need to get out of here. She couldn't speak cat. The teacher was ready to ask the cat to leave, but the students pointed out that the cat looked thin. So the teacher served it some milk and the kids gave it tidbits from their lunch. And you know that phrase, you give a cat, I wrote it weird. You can give a cat 
to fish and he'll eat for a day. That's not it. <laughs> you can give a cat to fish, but you can't lead him to a horse. You can give a cat a fish and he'll eat for a day. But if you teach a cat to fish, he's technically a student. You'll expect you to keep <laughs> giving him fish because his parents already paid for the school lunches. <laughs> and he'll want a diploma. <laughs> so the kids went to recess, right? They left the cat there. When they came back, the cat was still there sleeping on a desk and he had rummaged everyone's lunch bags and lunch boxes and oh. ate all this food. So then the lunch bell rings and after being adored and taking a rest from being adored to sleep, he followed the kids to lunch and the kids like, this is crazy. He's still here. <laughs> and they continue. They just keep feeding the cat. Anything the kid like the kids are loving it. And after a long day of sleeping and eating and being adored, you know, the cat Credo, he wandered away from school mm-hmm. and everyone's like, well, that's the last time that we'll ever see that cat. That's the last time we'll ever be happy. <laughs> huh. So this is rejection. <laughs> but then very next day, the cat came back, wandered into a class again, did the same thing. And it must have been the, the when I'm reading he this. ate everyone's lunch again? Yeah. In my head, like it must have been the funniest day. The funniest day of all of this must have been the second day. Because uh-huh. like they must, the first day must have felt like a fluke. But on day two, when that cat comes back, you're like, what? He's going to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> this continued on every day that school was open. When people were there, he would show up and no one wanted him to go away. So he stayed. The, like there was, the I read it. kids a, started withering away because they never got lunch. <laughs> the only line I read about staff thinking it was in a good idea was overcoming objections by some teachers. That's the only line in this whole story where someone's like, maybe this isn't a good idea to have this stray cat on the grounds. But that was it. So there was an overwhelming embrace to this neighborhood cat who had just wandered in the school. So everyone just now adjusted to having this like living mascot. <laughs> this cat did not have a name because it was a stray. As far as anyone knew, no one owned the cat. So, you know, what are you going to do? So they started coming up with suggestions for names of the cat and they were being thrown out. One of the students said, well, why don't we name the cat after the classroom that he seems to go to the most? And that room was room eight, which is a clever pun on roommate. I don't know if that And because he ate everything. Because he also ate everything that you put near him. And so goes the tale of Roommate the Cat. There wasn't much backstory on Roommate, but one of the teachers, it might have been Beverly Mason, who figures heavily into Roommate's life, says that Roommate was born in 1947, making him about five human years old when he started attending classes. He was a neighborhood cat who may have been treated really badly or without much love or attention at home, so the cat sought peace and affection in a new home. Floozy. (laughs) I'm just uh, hanging around a bunch of kids. What? So according to most of the readings, what Roommate did the most was get fed by students, thus becoming... <laughs> his favorite pastime. He was no fed. longer a thin little cat. He was a plump little guy. I see You see in a bunch of pictures like, not the fat cat. And he would... <laughs> That's so, where the phrase fat cat came from also. <laughs> He's also very rich. He struck oil one day. Roommate would eat everything and then he would just sleep in the sun. There was a golden rule that must be followed in regards to the presence of room eight. And that rule was don't bother the cat. <laughs> don't <laughs> acknowledge the cat. <laughs> He's going to do what he wants to do and you just leave him. Like as far as I can tell that counts as don't play with the cat when class is in session but also homie don't, don't play cat. Homie don't play cat. Don't mess with him. Just leave him be. Like he's going to just hang out and sleep in the sun. Don't like poke him. Like, just let him <laughs> sleep. Like don't bother him. There was some stories I read where roommate would just plop on a kid's desk and if he had to be removed then it was up to a child with the position cat remover oh, that had God. to relocate roommate to a more convenient spot. I thought you were going to say that it's like when ball bald eagles nest like in the middle of the road or something and the whole road has to shut down because they're endangered. It's not that far I'm off. sorry you're expelled. The cat's sitting the, on your the desk. Cat's sitting, I mean you can't touch the cat. Your homework's under the cat so I mean. You're I, homeschooled now. Ah. Did the cat ever eat anyone's homework? They tried and he wouldn't. <laughs> he would eat everything please, but the homework. Please I, please I only did half of it. You just gotta eat half of it. Sometimes room eight would walk along the silver eraser tray of the chalkboard with his fur and erase all the words that teacher <laughs> had written but if listen if you're gonna write that low then it's up just for Just ignore grabs. the cat. There was another more 
coveted position in sixth grade, and that was the kid who appointed the position cat feeder. Cat feeder, or sometimes called the cat monitor, was top dog, excuse me, top cat. The cat feeder got to go into the teacher's lounge where a roommate was fed and give him offerings. This cho- <laughs> this chosen student also got to- Human offerings. <laughs> this kid also got something that I'm genuinely jealous of. If you are the cat monitor, when you take the class photo, you get a whole roommate oh, the photo. Oh, that's cool. That is really, it, yeah. it's so funny because I've been going through Facebook groups dedicated to room eight and there's also groups dedicated to Elysian Heights the school okay obviously all the roommate stuff is about roommate but then Elysian Heights is just they'll have conversations that aren't necessarily about roommate they'll be talking about like alumni and stuff and they like they name roommate like it's just like fa- another faculty yeah. member here's the principal here's the assistant <laughs> principal the vice principal here's roommate here's the, the, the class president like it's people talk about roommate like he's just another thing and it's so funny just going through pictures and some kids just holding this giant cat in his yeah arm. it's weird how things like that can be normalized <laughs> yeah. this is the old rotten steak that we have in every <laughs> class picture with the big What's deal? the big deal? Oh, you don't know about a steak. Roommate was adored. He walked around the hallways and he would just pop in the classes and just get petted and sleep. Imagine how exciting. First of all, imagine how exciting that would be for the students in the class and how annoying that would be for the teacher that's I trying know. to keep all the students' attention. There's a stereotype of cats that they aren't affectionate and they don't like children, but roommate was not that type of cat. Roommate was like a part dog and also that part of Garfield <laughs> that ate a lot. Uh, he's also a tie tie cat. <laughs> as far as I can tell, it didn't seem like he came on weekends or during vacations like he followed the school schedule which is one of the things that he's remembered for the most they likened him to the swallows of capistrano every september room eight would trod in from wherever he had been and nobody really knew where he was coming from <laughs> he had a lay around his neck <laughs> in sunglasses and a tuxedo don't ask me about my spring break <laughs> i'm not ready to write that essay but yeah he first day of school he would just show up and he would show up he had perfect attendance he'd show up every day and when it was the last day of school he would just disappear he was the best student it seems like around the 60s is when roommate started to get popular outside of the boundaries of Leishan Heights. Look Magazine ran a three-page spread in really? November of 1962 titled Room 8 School Cat. Principal Beverly Mason, the, who was the voice and living counterpart to Room 8, and there's two teachers, Virginia Findlay and Valerie Martin, whom I, I don't think I've said this yet. Uh, I went to Elysian Heights. <gasps> My family went to Elysian Heights. Uh, I was are, that cat. I was that cat. <laughs> My children would go to Elysian Heights. <laughs> I challenge you to die. <laughs> reading some of these names I'd be like do you know Valerie Martin they're like yeah they wrote Roommate's Biography in 1966 which was put out by Putnam Publishing The Weekly Reader which was a national magazine for elementary school students had a short article about Roommate he made a special appearance at local cat shows he appeared on and I have to find this Art Link Letters show House Party apparently a few times on that he was featured in a documentary in 1968 called Big Cat Little Cat which I can't find <laughs> who's the big cat now, Shambhala Neil. Yeah. Yeah, Shambhala uh, and aside from being a cat Roommate was also a ham while some kids were nervous around all the interviews and media attention room it was cool comic collected a cool cat if you were <laughs> what's that I don't understand. In 1964, Room 8's paw prints were embedded in wet cement on the sidewalk of the school on June 11th. And that's how he died. <laughs> He's still in that cement. The janitor, Sam Ross, was the one that who helped Room 8 in and out of the cement. Television crews were there to film it. This is better than any footprints in front of Gromans. I'll fight. Hey, I'll fight Toto anyone. got her footprints I'll fight anybody. There. And with this media attention came fan adoration. Room 8 reportedly got 10,000 fan letters from 47 states and several foreign countries with an average of 30 letters a month. Countries. And once he got a hundred letters in a day according to the article i got most of my info from what are which, they, who writes a letter to a cat i would have some of the letters were written to room eight comma los angeles comma california or the cat <laughs> los angeles california you know the cat you know the one his fan letters became so vast that students were appointed to act as roommate secretaries so kids from the fifth and sixth grade would answer each piece of mail by hand oh and then God. sign it with a rubber stamp of roommate's paw print did these kids get an education <laughs> yeah they became secretaries <laughs> It turned into a complete secretarial school. 
Get them while they're young. You work for the cats now. <laughs> Some of these fan letters that came in had donations with them, so that money went towards oh, the school library fund, yeah. and some of the profits from the sale of biography that teachers wrote went towards paying for Room 8's postage, which went out to kids who wrote to him. But as the years pass, it's the same old story with every loved pet. Room 8's health weaned in and out. Weaned? Room, yeah, weaned. Waned? Waned. Weaned's waned. world. You're a ween. Roommate got older and lost teeth. Ween's world. <laughs> got it? I get it. Cool. Roommate, uh, party on. Roommate got older and lost teeth and was injured in a fight uh, with another cat. Roommate nearly... Room 9. Room 9. <laughs> yeah. Room 8 and nearly died of pneumonia in December was, of 1964, but managed to pull through. What? It, what? I was just going to say room 789, but because he avenged eight. Thanks. The responsibility of the cat nurse fell on several staff members' laps. Custodian Sam Ross. Hang on. How much of the city's money went towards <laughs> creating job positions to take care of this Everyone cat? loved to do it. Volunteer <laughs> positions. They had a $4 billion tax hike. The mayor came back from his trip in the Cancun to take care of this cat. <laughs> the custodian Sam Ross and the principal Mason would be the ones usually to take him to the vet. The Nakano family of the area remember looking after roommate from their home. And one night when they couldn't find him, they organized a flight flashlight search party to roam the area and check the bushes for the celebrity cat. <laughs> Near the end of his life, he continued to be affectionate and warm with the students of Legion Heights. He never got like cranky and weird as he got older. Mm-hmm. He was always very affectionate. Also, let's add that he was 17 pounds by that point, which I googled the average weight of a yeah, cat no. and it fired back 7 to 9 pounds, which <laughs> means that roommate was 10 pounds more loved than most cats. Oh, God. He Get was it. shaped like an ape also. <laughs> he, he, he really lived up to it. 40 years after his bout with pneumonia, roommate passed away due to oh. kidney ailments in August of 1968 at the age of 22 human years old. That's which, a good age. Yeah, no, it lived a long life. It, yeah. They calculate that to be 154 cat years old. A well-loved friend <laughs> and God. student. Part uh, Moses also. <laughs> his passing was covered in several publications, including the LA Times and the Long Beach Press-Telegram. And his obituary ran three columns with a jump and a three-column photo on the front of the second section of the paper. And if you don't think that's a big deal or that's important, ask yourself how many columns your dumb dead body will get. Uh, to be decided. He was laid to rest, as he liked to frequently do. At the LA Pet Memorial Park at mm-hmm. Calabasas with the Nakano hey, family. Spoilers. With the Nakano family laying a wreath of roses and carnations on his grave. Roommate loved to walk through gardens and smell flowers, much like Bella Lugosi in Plan 9 from Outer Space. <laughs> so it was fitting to leave him with flowers. Roommate lives on in many ways. Songwriter Leo Kotke, K O T T K E, wrote an instrumental tribute to Room 8 on his album Mudlark. I've heard it. Very pleasant. Ew, I don't like that word. Hetty Perry, a woman from Pasadena who never knew Roommate personally but read the stories about him, was so moved that she opened up the Room 8 Memorial Cat Foundation 1972, which mm. is a no-kill shelter for animals, which is... No-kill s- shelter for obese cats. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be a certain... You get 17 pounds. Uh, supported by donations. So if you're looking for a place to put your money, that's the place to do it. It now exists in Riverside. Riverside, and it's still going <laughs> strong. My favorite memorial for Roommate is Elysian Heights itself, which yeah. adorns several murals all over the school. All along the avenue, students wrote in cement labs their names and the memories they have of roommate my oh. aunt wrote one she, really hers is there yeah i'm gonna dig it up that's why i'm not saying her name um <laughs> his paw prints are still there there's photos of him all over the place i went to this school and it was i didn't kind of get it until high school when my friends mm-hmm. started coming over like what's with the cat I'm like, yeah well it wandered into a classic so i'm like <laughs> it's kind of a big deal I re- <laughs> you don't get it i remember uh you told me because i was curious about that cat yeah. also and you're like yeah that's uh, that's roommate the cat and i <laughs> I considered not being your friend anymore. <laughs> Just like we were talking 
talking about the class photos and how you just kind of accept it at yeah. some point. I'm just like, yeah. it's, it's roommate. <laughs> what? That's the god of our neighborhood. It's a cat. <laughs> That's our biggest celebrity. What's? I don't understand why you're mad. Uh, I, I got mad. Yeah, livid. <laughs> but there's another way that he lives on. Many students in the neighborhood have said that they eventually ended up taking roommate in during the summer times, feeding him and sometimes letting him stay o- uh, over, uh, although he usually wouldn't stay long, but instead would show up frequently and may have impregnated a cat oh, because that yeah. student's cat gave birth to a gray striped tabby litter so it's very likely that room eight's lineage continues in echo park so be nice to all cats in echo park <laughs> the prodigal kitten i never really thought about i mean like i knew i liked roommate a lot my family knew roommate we have like it comes up in family stories sometimes but reading the story <laughs> this way it's a really nice story about this reciprocal relationship between the school and this cat and how they had feelings for each other it's really yeah. remarkable there's not a lot of stories about schools that take in pets and then it becomes the mascot like a living mascot yeah above all else what is important about this is like there's a lesson to teach children about opening your doors to those who need a place roommate is a symbol of hospitality i'm so glad those murals and the sidewalk murals live on because i can't think of another school that has anything like that was he the mascot were you like the elysian heights roommates i think i think it might have been the cougars but roommate is it's always the tippy hedrons if you know what i'm saying (laughs) no my my cougars were my middle school i don't remember what we were cougars my middle name (laughs) yeah that's roommate it's a weird weird it's not though i'm glad that it's a cat that made a name for itself on its own it didn't it wasn't an actor all it was was starving <laughs> all it was was fat <laughs> what better way to wrap up these stories about all these pets than talking about a place where all pets eventually go if you're lucky when their time comes all our pets move on and go to that special place where they wait for us to someday join them calabasas <laughs> i'd rather not you yeah, uh, yeah, i'll meet you in hell <laughs> this is the story of the los angeles pet memorial park so it starts in 1924 with a Dr. Eugene C. Jones, which I'm going to be calling Dr. Jones for <laughs> most of no this. No time for love. He was a veterinarian from Washington State College who moved to L.A. that year in 1924 to open up an animal hospital at 9080 Santa Monica Boulevard in West Hollywood, now across the street from the Troubadour, called the E.C. Jones Veterinary Hospital and then the Jones Dog and Cat Hospital. Uh, the building was designed by the same people who did the Capitol Records building and the Cinerama Dome. Really? Yeah. Is that why it's shaped like a bunch of dogs hanging on each other's back? Is that why yeah. the building's like that? It's really cute. It's the dog talking into the phonograph. Yeah. But really big. Like you can see this from space. He's not talking into the phonograph. He's listening. How many times do I have to tell you dogs can't talk? <laughs> I, I beg, agree to disagree. So being located in West Hollywood, Dr. Jones became hugely successful as the go-to guy for celebrities to take their sit pets to. They're sick puppies, man. They're sick. So he was the most conveniently located for them. So people like Gloria Swanson, Charlie Chaplin, and Rudolph Valentino all took their pets to him. To Peacocks and vultures yeah, or whatever they... weird eccentric animals. <laughs> Can isn't... you look after my ocelot? <laughs> okay, Rudolph. So his success led him four years later to expand his operations into a location to deal with the pets he wasn't able to save with a pet funeral parlor on Highland. They sold pet caskets ranging anywhere from seven twenty-five to several thousand and they had a viewing room for the deceased pets. But around the same time, Dr. Jones started yet another venture to find the, the chakra James. stone or whatever. <laughs> he started another venture to deal with where these dead pets should go. Oh, I didn't want you to say it. (laughs) No other way to say it. It was illegal to bury your pets in LA city limits. So to get around that, he bought 10 acres of land in the land of freedom and puppy burials. 
Calabasas. He bought, Which is ancient Sanskrit for pet burials. He bought them from a man named Gilbert H. Bessemeyer, who was a year away from being caught embezzling $8 million from the Guaranteed Building and Loan Association and getting sentenced to 40 years in San Quentin. So in 1928, he had been selling off his assets to try to avoid suspicion, and 10 of those assets went to Dr. Jones at 5068 Old Scandia Lane. That's how you get the good deals. You find a criminal who's desperate to get rid of all his hot items. One man's white collar crime is another man's white great deal. Trash. <laughs> this place opened on September 4th, 1928 as the Los Angeles Pet Park and the first burial was supposedly that of Dr. Jones's own pet, a uh, dog. <laughs> Random dog. Yeah. I killed it so I could have a first burial. Me Couldn't first. Wait. Yeah. This was only the second pet cemetery in the entire country behind the Hartsdale Pet Cemetery in Westchester, New York that wow. opened in 1896. Ours is better. Ours had oranges all over it so it was <laughs> a lot nicer. A hearse would take the coffins from the funeral parlor on Highland all all the way to Calabasas, which probably took like eight years. You could have had another pet and then watched that one die by yeah. the time. It was a self-sustaining system. <laughs> so there they would either be buried in a plot complete with tombstone for 1250 or after the crematorium was built in 1929, 1750 for cremation. It was $400 to be placed in the big mausoleum on the top of the hill. Of course, with Dr. Jones's celebrity clientele, a lot of those celebrities brought their pets here also. So buried here are the pets of Bud Abbott, Erwin Allen, Maury Amsterdam, Lauren Bacall, Joseph Barbera, Cubby Broccoli, Peter Bogdanovich, Henry Fonda, William Randolph Hearst, Jim Nabors, Bob Newhart, Debbie Reynolds, Cesar Romero, Greg's old friend, Mickey Rooney. He almost ended up there by accident. (laughs) Not Uh, accident. That's what happens when you act like an animal. It's a good deal. (laughs) Ava Gabor, Mary Pickford, Lionel Barrymore, Adam Sandler, Diana Ross, supposedly Bruce Springsteen, Lily Tomlin, Peter Falk, Tori Spelling, William Shatner, Alfred Hitchcock's Terriers, and those guys he killed with a lion. (laughs) Humphrey Bogart, Garth's Cocker Spaniel Boots, Charlie Chaplin's Cat Scout, Steven Spielberg's Jack Russell Terrier, the fully spayed and neutered pets of Bob Barker, <laughs> Dolores Del Rio's pet Dada, Mae West's pet monkey Boogie. The most famous of these pets of celebrities is probably Rudolph Valentino's Doberman K-Bar. He was given a Valentino as a gift by a diplomat from Belgium who was in love with him. But when Valentino died in New York, K-Bar was back in LA. But the story goes that K-Bar howled right at the moment that Valentino died across the country. And then k Bar ran away from home and roamed the country looking for Valentino, but he obviously didn't find him. Yeah. Uh, eventually, he came back. I mean, he maybe found him. He life. told him not to tell. No. Eventually, he came back half starved with bleeding feet, and he Aww. died two weeks later of a broken heart, or maybe because of the bleeding feet. <laughs> He's at the cemetery, and the lady in black, she actually used to come leave flowers at his grave every year oh, the same day so she'd sweet. go to Valentino's at sweet. Hollywood Forever. The ghost of K-Bar is also reportedly heard barking and panting and sometimes licking hands, uh, but I suspect it's a uh, boogie. <laughs> the monkey that's doing that. There's also plenty of animals who were celebrities in their own right that weren't just famous mm-hmm. by association mm-hmm. to a celebrity human. No cats though. Oh. There's a German shepherd from Bakersfield named Milton Sill, but more famously known as the dog who knew everything. Jigs the monkey from the Tarzan oh, movies Jigs. was buried there in 1938 after losing a battle with pneumonia. His funeral was attended by Ray Milan, Dorothy Lilmore, and Bing Crosby. Oh my god. And that's the last I'm ever talking about Jigs. There's also a lion. Oh yeah, there's a lion also. Here's the last lion of the night. A lion named Tawny, who is believed to have also been in the Tarzan movies. A lot of people try to tell you he was one of the MGM lions, but I never said that there was a lion named Tawny. But this lion was buried along with a house cat that he was best friends with. Pretty cool. Silver from the Lone Ranger, 
Bird, nay Sonny, is there, as is Tonto's horse Scout and Topper from Hogalong Cassidy. Max Sennett's cat Puzzums, who was in movies with Maurice Chevalier and Will Rogers, is there. Petey the dog from Our Gang, <gasps> who many believe was poisoned, is uh-huh. buried there. And then some cat that's named after some building or something. <laughs> Eight, 80 room? <laughs> the room the cat? Room the, cat. <laughs> there's one grave there marked for Blinky the friendly hen, who was a hen at one point, but when she was actually buried in 1978, she was just a frozen foster farms chicken that an artist named Jeffrey Valance bought at a Ralph's in Canoga Park, and he buried it as performance art. And then 10 years after the burial, Blinky was exhumed and had an autopsy performed on her by UCLA's head of pathology. And the whole thing became an exhibit at an art gallery in Glendale, complete with artifacts like the Shroud of Blinky and a recreation of the funeral complete with a rubber chicken in a coffin. Wow. I don't okay. know why you don't like that. I love it. If I don't like high art. Well, you know, these things get normalized. <laughs> I grew up with uh, Foster Farms Chicken. Yeah. After the exhibit was over, Blinky was reburied, and you can read all about it in Valence's book, Blinky the Friendly Hen. There's also pets who are famous for better reasons than that, like some dogs who helped find survivors during 9 11. Oh, wow. There's also just regular pets of people who wanted to bury them there because they love them, and each of these pets has a story. One tombstone says, Borden died of uremic poisoning at 3.30 a.m. due to kidney failure seven hours before he was to be euthanized, and it's all my fault, Richard. Oh, my God. Yeah. Those are the words of a broken heart. He was probably Ill. in the office, and they're asking him, what do you want it to say? And he, he just broke down. Oh, Our man, hearts go out hard. to you, Richard. There's a white-nosed coatie named Titine that got killed by a cat, and at his funeral was his best friend Poncho, a white-faced monkey who cried during the entire ceremony. There's a two-year-old German shepherd from Pacoima named Skippy that was buried December 26, 1989. His story was that he had bit the mailman, Floyd Sterling. So the next day, which was a few days before Christmas, Sterling came to deliver the mail and Skippy's owner and her 10-year-old son came outside to give Sterling a Christmas present. But as they came up, so did Skippy. So Sterling pulled out a gun and shot the dog in front of the family, the mother and her 10-year-old son who were trying to give him a Christmas gift. He claimed he was just trying to scare him. But when someone asked him if he thought the dog was going to be okay, he said, I hope not. He was suspended and charged with three felonies and the USPS paid for the funeral. There's another dog named Poocharoonie and he has no story, but I like his name. There's not just dogs and cats and horses and monkeys, though. There's lizards, ferrets, goats, pigs, fish, turtles, hamsters, a boa constrictor, Mickey Rooney. (laughs) People leave flowers and sometimes dog toys and treats. There's statues of some animals in their memory. There's stained glass windows of animals and wind chimes in the trees. It's pretty nice. It's a nice place. You went there. We went there and it was uh, not as fun as I thought it was going to be. It sounds like it might be like pleasant, but everything you said right now, well, you talked to me after you went and you were sort of like, hey... (laughs) Listen, I thought this was going to be a nice Sunday. And now we're both bummed. Because a lot of the graves have like pictures of the animals on it. And it's and like there were people there who had uh, there was one guy that I thought he worked there because he was had a shovel. He had a shovel. (laughs) He I don't know. He had a collar in his mouth or something. (laughs) He was just standing there staring at a tomb. He was an older guy just standing there staring at a tombstone for like 20 minutes just looking at it. Haunting. Yeah. Haunting. Yeah. And then like there were other people there who had their other pets and they were just 
just like hanging out at the grave. That's heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty sad. Did you see roommates? I didn't, I couldn't find, it's, it, there's no, I mean, it's not a huge place, yeah, but like, like yeah, how map, are you gonna, yeah. there's no neon sign pointing to roommates. Usually I just have like a little pointer and then I just find yeah. it. If you just shine a laser pointer, certainly his <laughs> skeleton will jump up and try to get it. In 1947, Evelyn Waugh came to look around and in 1948, he wrote about it in The Loved One, referring to it as happier hunting ground. The only trauma to disturb the peace there came during World War the second one when Lockheed was testing some experimental new plane that crashed landed oh. into the cemetery and there's still supposedly some debris up on the hill uh, dislodged a whole horse <laughs> by 1932 they had over 750 pets there and in 1969 they consolidated the funeral parlor on Highland and moved it into the cemetery in 1973 the Joneses family gave the cemetery to the Los Angeles SPCA and by 1978 they had over 40,000 pets buried there trouble came in 1983 when the SPCA put it up for sale and some developers wanted to buy the land and pave over it to make houses or businesses or something. So a group of people whose pets were buried there came together and formed a group called Sophie or Save Our Pets History in Eternity. And they raised $100,000 to buy it on September 12, 1986. They even got a law passed that prevents pet cemeteries from being destroyed or developed over. There was a rift in the group in 1992 when some of the Sophie members split off and formed a secondary group called SOS or Save Our Sophie which in itself stands for something longer. (laughs) But today, they're once again a unified group with some 500 members. The great civil war of Sophie is over. Sophie's choice, they chose peace. (laughs) They have some 500 members watching over the cemetery that now holds some 50,000 pets. Caskets now cost between $120 to $300 and plots are $400 to $1,000. If you're burying a horse, you don't need a casket because they're too big, so they just flip them upside down and cover them in hay. It's very tastefully done, though. They hide the dong. (laughs) Um, the dog gets a casket. <laughs> it gets the Milton Burrell treatment. They'll provide you with a priest or a rabbi or whatever you need to make this process easier. Every last Saturday of the month, they hold a candlelight memorial for anyone who has lost a pet, which I, when I read about that, I was like, oh, that might be kind of nice. And then I heard it's just people crying. Oh, it's just like people crying. Hard about, sobbing. Yeah. If you don't like what the LA Pet Memorial Park has to offer, the only other pet cemetery in town is the Pet Haven Cemetery started in 1948 by M.V. Griffith, you know, the, the animal. Yeah, and C.E. Ranzenberger, who started their cemetery because they were angry at the watering restrictions in Calabasas that wouldn't allow them to grow grass over their pets' graves. So this one is at the northeast corner of Figaro and 190th Street in Carson. They have over 25,000 graves of pets, including that of Mickey Cohen's dog, Mickey Jr., Jr. who was buried there in 1960, supposedly escorted in by armed guards. And the tombstone says, Mickey Jr., my baby, I'll always miss you. And then they shot the grave. (laughs) It's a 12 gun salute but it's all aimed at the the thing (laughs) in there also are the pets of edward g robinson jack webb claudette colbert groucho marx's poodles soto and mr dreamboat ike and tina turner's great dane onyx nat king cole's boxer mr pep ella fitzgerald dog easy and all eight of jerry lewis's dogs while the loved one was about the calabasas cemetery the filming location of the movie was this one in carson it's easy to be snarky about all this and put it down as rich people going crazy about their pets but i know what it's like to use a pet you know what it's yeah. like to lose a pet and I'm sure most people listening doing any sort of like tradition or structure to sort of make that process easier to cope 
with, no matter how crazy it does kind of seem, whatever you need to get through it, I don't think should be put down. Yeah. No pun intended. Yeah. So th- those are our, those are the pets of Los Angeles. I want to go hug an animal now. I want to go dig up jigs. <laughs> I'm not done with him. You listen to me, you old dead chimp. It's a nice cemetery, but it'll easily make you sadder than going to a it, human cemetery. It's a nice cemetery for me to stand outside of the gates of and just appreciate from It's afar. a nice cemetery for me to poop on. That's a tribute to another animal. Another, another pet who's a favorite of mine. It's weird that Toto and the Tippy Hedron lions were like right in my neighborhood. Yeah, I was thinking about that because I was looking up like... Does Old he Hollywood. live off of Beverly Glen? Does like, he live on an ancient Toto burial <laughs> ground? I was very interested in Toto, so I'm, thank you for telling me that story. I'm glad you don't care about the MGM lions. I mean, I do. It's just, uh, you know, lions. They scare me. There's only one Toto. I can take her. I can take Toto. I can take Toto. <laughs> you know, I don't know if we've made this joke yet, but we would be lying <laughs> if we said that uh, we didn't appreciate uh, leaving a review for us on iTunes. Yes, please. If uh, you have an iPhone, just open the podcast app. It's right there. Five stars. Five star review five if that's easier for you. Oh. Uh, for like typing a sentence out. One for every official MGM lion. So seven. <laughs> We're including that one from the cemetery everyone says was one of them. Do we count the skin as a separate lion from the lion corpse that's skinless now? So yeah, you can uh, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at LA Meekly, on Instagram, LA underscore Meekly. Hit us up at our email address, which is la.meekly at gmail.com. Yeah, uh, email questions, us with questions, comments. Tell us about your Hollywood pet. Maybe yeah. you're, uh, I don't know, maybe you're... Maybe you have a cockatoo. <laughs> That would be crazy. Oh, yeah. Also, email us if, if you want to be a uh, subject of one of our field trip episodes. Also, email us yeah, or contact us any way you want to contact yeah, us. Yeah, we've been doing more of those. Our, our main our hub is lameekly.tumblr.com. We have an episode archive there where you can look up all the episodes. Uh, you can give us stuff on Patreon. Mm-hmm. There's some goodies in some there goodies. for you. We've been or sending you... postcards to people. Or you could just give us money for doing nothing. <laughs> any last words? Thank you for listening to episode 52. I'll see you back in episode 53. I'm clapping to keep myself yeah. going. We talked about pets this month. Now we're going to talk about what's the opposite of a pet? An overlord? Famous animal overlords of Hollywood? How many little people on the set of Wizard of Oz were terrorized? Had to live under the threat of losing their job because Toto barked at them. What's that, Toto? You want to throw the munchkin in a well? Don't even get us started on Lassie. What's that? We should dock his pay. <laughs> now shake, roll over, give him his pink slip. Give it to him. Drop it. Yeah, so we'll, uh, you know, whatever the next episode is, we'll see you in the yeah. uh, the funny pages. <laughs> uh, That's been it for Ally Meekly. Oh, oh, it's over? But I still have four more animals I want to talk about. <laughs> As the immortal words of Greg go, that's been yet another episode of Ally Meekly. Eating elementary school kids' lunches since 2013. They're delicious. Boy, am I fat. I must weigh 19 pounds. <laughs>